of God's word. We will turn to Psalms chapter 34, verse 15. Psalms chapter 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. And then Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. So verses 1 to 8. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from the Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God is the upright God. God is the upright God. God is the upright God. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to the cries of the upright. So He guides the path of the righteous and allows those who see his face and live with him so today we will hear about the righteous and uprightness and when we speak of righteousness or righteous it's not the most appealing topic it's uh, something not um, common to our ears however uh, it is a very important topic Righteousness is um, absolute, and it's uh, about uh, right and wrong. So it is pertaining to the law, and it is very important. And though, and so, though it may be difficult, let us listen well, and let us listen carefully, so that when our souls leave the flesh, we can go before the righteous God and see his face and live with him forever. So, our faith is to believe that God is upright, that he is righteous. In Psalms 11, 7, it says, um, for the Lord is righteous and he loves justice, the upright will see his face. And also faith is to believe that God is upright, as it says in Psalms chapter 119, 7. So the life of faith for such person is in order to dwell in righteousness and uprightness while alive, while in the flesh, while in this world, it is to live uprightly before God. So at every moment and second, it is to live before God and to live an upright, uh, uprightly life before God and not to be honest before Him. And that is what faith life is. Uh, 
So that's mentioned in Psalm chapter 140, 13. So, uh, so, uh, Regarding righteous and uprightness, this is an absolute relationship. So other words for upright is honest. So it is to, uh, like a pole is always standing straight, uh, we have to stand upright before the presence of God. And to go further, it is to be the same inside and out, and not to be double-hearted. So being upright means there are no deceit or lies. So upright or honesty is what people like. Even in families since young, uh, children are taught about integrity and uh, being honest, even in the school. So in the school setting, they teach um, all sorts of knowledge. But not only is it about knowledge, but they also teach you how to live as an honest person, a person of integrity. Academies are different in that they teach skills and knowledge, uh, but they do not teach children about uprightness. So in a normal family or school, they will teach not only knowledge, but also about being an honest person. And those taught well are welcomed and recognized anywhere they go. In schools, um, students make the honor roll and are awarded, but it's not only because of grades. You can have good grades, but if your actions are uh, dishonest and uh, and deceitful, then uh, such students will not be awarded. And so you must be outstanding in both knowledge and grades as well as your actions to be awarded. So schools and also in the workplace, uh, people like honest people. Though a person may be outstanding in skills and uh, very talented and can speak multiple languages and is very smart, um, but if he is not honest, then they are not liked. You can't work with them. And this is especially true when you get married. The person may be uh, good looking and smart, but if he is not honest, you, you can't be with him. So honesty and um, integrity is very important. Even uh, with politics, men of integrity. So politicians, they have an incredible uh, a background and education um, and knowledge, but they disappoint people because they are liars. Uh, they're, they are sayings directed at politicians and the president would say that they are liars and um, they don't keep their words. They make promises, but don't keep them. Uh, so being honest is very important. So as soon as children are born, they don't know how to lie. But as they get older, they start to lie and deceive. We don't know where they learned it from, but they start to lie. And it's, it's very sad. So when they are young and, and uh, they get in trouble and uh, they, are, they are scolded, um, then they start crying and say, I'm sorry, I did wrong. But as they get older, they start to make excuses and uh, they start to lie and are deceptive. So it is difficult to raise a decent human being. The Bible 
tells us that God alone is upright, that God alone is righteous and upright. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, 4, that um, He alone is upright and just. He is just and upright. And God created man, and the man He created, he created man as an upright being. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 29, um, it says, God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. It says they have gone in search of many schemes. Um, and in other versions, it says they have sought out many inventions. So inventions, um, so it's to, um, to create or design something. Uh, but it, it, what it means here is that, is that as time goes by, mankind continues to scheme and continues to invent other uh, ways, other lies. And why did this happen? It started with our ancestor Adam. In the Garden of Eden, God commanded him to not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or else um, he would surely die. But the devil deceived them and lied, saying that you can eat of it and you will not die. So Adam and Eve were deceived and ate the fruit, and therefore became the slaves of the devil, the liar, the father of lies. So this liar became their teacher, and they listened to his lies and followed after him. And as a result, we see mankind continuing to invent more ways to lie. Uh, so they were okay uh, in the Garden of Eden, where they heard the command and voice of the Lord. So, but after. After Adam sinned, as he ate the fruit, he gained wisdom and realized they were naked and questioned why he was living like that. So they sewed fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. But when they were experiencing darkness, um, they heard the voice of the Lord and they realized they had done wrong and hid among the bushes. And uh, God called out to him, Adam, where are you? So they could no longer hide. Um, so from the bushes they came out and, um, and he, he said, Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So as they did something wrong, they feared, they were afraid, so they hid. And then the, when they heard his voice, they confessed. So when people are interrogated, they are told confess. Um, to fess up. So um, Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And um, he said, who told you that you were naked? And what did God do? He clothed them with garments of skin. So Adam knew he did wrong, and he knew God would see it as wrong as well. And um, he, because he was afraid, that's why he hid. But when he heard the voice of God, he came before God and confessed. He turned himself in. So to the one who confesses, there is a saying, 
that if you confess, then you will regain honor. After Adam, there's the story of Cain who uh, killed his brother and uh, uh, buried, probably buried him in the ground. And God said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And what did Cain say? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He acted like he didn't know, but God said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So he could no longer hide himself and uh, feared. God then said, When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said uh, to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can that I can't take it, what should I do? Have mercy on me. And what did God do? He gave him a mark to be saved. So when you hear the voice of Jehovah, uh, the voice of God, and if you confess, there is the history of, uh, we see this pattern of being saved. So Cain's story was up to, uh, we, we read up to Genesis chapter four, but after that, um, it then speaks of the wickedness of mankind. And then there's the story of Lamech, who said to his wives, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So the avengement of Lamech would be 77 times, and that's how much more wickedness grew. So Genesis chapter 6, 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, as they lived however they wanted and were filled, they were full of uh, wickedness. So God, according to his schedule, proclaimed that he would destroy what he created and wipe from the face of the earth all mankind. He then called Noah and his family, who from the beginning received the grace of God, and um, he was a righteous man. So be, to be called a righteous man, so beforehand there was no command to keep. But God uh, considered him a righteous man that he himself was a righteous man. And so God saw him, and when he told him of the flood, uh, Noah believed. And uh, so for all those years, he gave his everything in building the ark, because God said, I saw your righteousness. And they entered the ark, and Noah and his family were saved. So the few people in Noah's family uh, were saved, and through them, the human race multiplied once again. When the Israelites were living as slaves in Egypt, God sent Moses to lead them out. And um, God promised that I will lead you to the land I promised to your ancestors. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, 5, 
it says that it is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. That it's not because of your righteousness and it's not your integrity. But um, but it says, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it says that the reason why they go to the promised land and receive it as an inheritance was not because they were righteous, but it's because of the promise he made to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's not on account of their righteousness, but because of the oath that God made and that he gave it to their ancestors. So he left them in order to reveal the uprightness of God. So God is the one who cannot lie. And while he is almighty, the one thing he cannot do is lie. So we have to believe in this. And we have to believe in this to believe the entirety of the Bible. That if we think God can lie and he'll keep some things but lie on others, then we can't believe. So the Old Testament consists of covenants and prophecies. But if we don't have this basic faith, then we can't go to the promised land that God promised. And God said, in the sanctuary of Jehovah, keep your uprightness. That if you do, then you will go to the land that I promised you. And uh, you will have an abundance, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 11, 22 and Deuteronomy chapter 13, 18. That is as to carefully observe all these commands uh, I am giving you to follow and, um, and do what is right in his eyes. So the command that God gave them was to not lie to their neighbors. So don't, do not give false testimony. So if you did, then it's the same as breaking the other commandments. And it was a, an important, it was a major sin. In America as well, a great sin people are committing is giving false testimonies. So the righteous man, David, was upright before God and upright before the people. So why did God love and bless David so much? When David committed such great sin uh, against one of his soldiers by taking his wife and committing adultery, uh, but it's not really adultery since all everything belongs to the king, but uh, with one of his soldiers' wife, he committed this unspeakable act. And um, in 1 Kings chapter 15, 5, it says, For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah. So except in the case of Uriah, David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So Uriah was the husband of uh, Bathsheba, and while his faithful servant was out at war, on a particular night, his wife seemed so beautiful, and because David could not hold back his temptation, he committed sin, and then she became pregnant. So how could a faithful king commit uh, such an act to his faithful servant? 
So when he saw Uriah and the pregnancy, he thought, what should I do? So he sent the letter to his commander about placing Uriah on the front lines to have him killed. So Uriah was taken care of in such a way. And David, um, he felt very convicted of what he did. And when God saw him, it says, even though he committed unspeakable sin, but um, it says, except in the case of Uriah, he had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So even though he committed this unspeakable sin, um, but because he was confronted, David, he confessed. He was broken and contrite. He repented and God heard the prayer. So God hears the prayer of the righteous, of the upright. And though he made a mistake, it was a great mistake. He not only committed adultery, but also murder. But greater than that was David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not fail to keep any commandments all the days of his life. And that is why God heard his prayer. So Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 to 7. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So he said he knew uh, his sin. So when the prophet confronted David, he acknowledged his sin and he, he didn't deny it. Nathan said, how could you do such a thing and gave the story about a poor man who had nothing except one little lamb and how David was like the rich man who took his this lamb that you had so many concubines how could you take the wife of your faithful servant so when the prophet said this criticized him of this from that moment David truly acknowledged his sin and even he said, my sin is always before me. So though he repented, he continued to be reminded of his sin and repented again and again that I am a sinner, that my sin is always before me, that um, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That uh, he, he said he surely couldn't get rid of the sin he committed. He said, I have committed sin before your temple. He confessed, I am a sinner, and said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So that in my blood, I have this gene of a sinner. So how could I not sin? I am a sinner, for I am born as a sinner and am the worst among sinners and like garbage. And he realized who he was. And because when the prophet confronted him, he acknowledged his sinfulness again and again. And he said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. To cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. 
So in the past, when they gave sacrifice, they poured out the blood and washed um, with hyssop. So using a tool, they sprinkled the blood of sacrifice in the temple. So if my sins could truly be cleansed, then cleanse me with hyssop. Even with the blood of those sacrifice, then I will be cleansed and let me hear joy and gladness. And uh, he said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So how this would be resolved would only be through the Lord. And he cried out to God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And the Father uh, forgave him. And so as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God used David as the way for Yeshua to come. So, so he he acknowledged his sin and he was broken uh, because of his sin, suffering to the point he wanted to be cleansed and acknowledged that sin again and again. And therefore, God not only forgave him his sins, but God does not turn away from the cries of the righteous. That's my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. So how Psalm chapter 51, it relates it so closely, so exactly to the gospel, is that when he acknowledged his sin and confessed it, he was, God forgave him, and um, he was greatly blessed. But Solomon, uh, his son, was very different from David. Because his father was upright, he was blessed. Though he knew that, he became so proud. And as he spoke in the Song of Songs, there was no one as wise as Solomon. But in God's eyes, he did not do upright acts, nor behaved according to the law of the Lord. And eventually, Solomon was the one who paved the way for the nation of Israel to be destroyed. So there was also King Jeroboam at the time when the nation was divided during the time of Solomon's son. And there were ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south, and they did not, they did not do right uh, before God as David was. So God turned away from them. So the nation of Israel became corrupted and collapsed. So the Israelites no longer desired to hear the words of the prophets. So when the prophets received the word of God and relayed it, they said, don't tell us this, don't, but say only words that we want to hear, that our ears are itching to hear. So they killed and persecuted the prophets. And, and then later, Jesus convicted them of uh, what they did.
So they disliked the prophets who spoke of faithful and honest things, and that's why the nation of Israel collapsed and became completely corrupted. So unlike Adam and Cain, who confessed their sins, um, they did not confess what they did, and so God turned away from them, and their nation collapsed. But and there was hope. Isaiah he gave a prophecy that there'd be a son who would judge with uprightness, um, and he would open his lips and speak with honesty. That um, it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and so. It was a prophecy that a root will come and open his lips and speak righteous things. So who is this referring to? So from the line of David, there will be a son who comes from that line. And when he does, he will only speak uh, the truth. In Isaiah chapter 11, 11, it mentions this. And Proverbs chapter 8, 6. So that from his lips will come right things. So the one who came is Yeshua. And he started his public ministry and began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So people dislike the word repent. And a word like, I'm doing well, why are you telling me to repent? And, but he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. The Messiah you awaited has come. So the work you need to do now is repent. So Jesus, he opened his lips and spoke right, righteous words, right things. And what he said was to repent. The people of Israel gave up listening to the righteous and upright words of the, the Lord, and they turned their ears away from the prophets. Because their hearts had turned away from God, Jesus said, repent. And what did he say before the temple? He said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. So the temple that Jesus said to destroy was the temple of Jerusalem. So some, some might say that the sermons at our church are always the same. The outline is the same. And so for me as well, when you listen to the sermons, you, there's the format and you just plug it in. It's always the same, but, but um, this is the, when you want to become a scholar, uh, then there's, there's a certain way, there's a certain principle you have to follow. So, so I am a, we are scholars of the Bible. And so what are we talking about today? What's the theme? It's regarding the righteous and uprightness, that the righteous must be upright, must be honest. So there was prophecy that when one comes, he will rule with righteousness, with uprightness. And what did Jesus say? He said, I do not speak on my own, but these words are of the one who sent me, and I do the work of the one who sent me. And who is God? He is the upright God. I had said God is the upright God and Jesus 
He spoke the words that he heard from the upright God when he was with the Father in his bosom. But the people didn't, they did not like what he said. If he had spoken of the things of the world, they would have liked it. But what did he say? Was it if you eat the fruit, you will become like God, none will rule over you, and you will be exalted? But because he said, repent of your, to repent of your past and to turn back, who would enjoy hearing such a thing? So it was being fulfilled according to the prophecies that he would be despised. So he said, destroy this temple. And what did it contain? It had the name of Jehovah and um, they were given the laws to follow. So if they kept the commands that God gave in the name of Jehovah, then they will be regarded as upright, as righteous. But if you keep the laws of Jehovah, then you will be regarded as upright and be regarded as righteous. And so your flesh will be kept safe and you would have a long life. And in the land of Canaan, you'll continue to live for many years. But Jesus said, destroy this temple. Uh, their hopes of receiving Jehovah's promise was therefore crushed when Jesus said to destroy the temple. But he said, I will raise it again in three days. So what name would it have? It would have the name of Yeshua. So he would raise the temple of his body with the name of Yeshua. And in that body, it would have the name of Yeshua, the name of God and the Holy Spirit. And in that name, he will rise. So the law he give would no longer pertain to the law of Moses, but the Father's word, which is the truth. The truth is the law. But the Father's word will become the law, and if you keep it, your spirit will be regarded as upright and righteous, that the soul will be acknowledged as righteous and go the way of the upright. Amen. And during his public ministry, the work Jesus did was the work of the Father and spoke the words of the Father. So who is God? So Jesus was the one that God was always watching at every moment in secret. So from the break of dawn, in order to be regarded as righteous and not acknowledged by people but by God, he continuously did the works of the Father, which uh, he healed the sick and raised the dead and proclaimed the gospel to those in chains and he did the work of giving comfort to those bound but at the same time the uh, so at the same time the appearance of jesus and the words of jesus uh convicted uh, certain people and they felt very uncomfortable uh, when they heard what he said and they were the pharisees and who were they they were the hypocrites hypocrites so a long some time ago when i had bible study there was someone uh, very intelligent who graduated from seoul university and when we so when we say 
hypocrite uh, this word the, the word in Korean it sounds like the word to dine out but in Korean um, what it means um, the, the, the characters it, it comes from the character where the outer is different from the inner where inside there is sin and there's death and uh, wickedness and evil but um, um, but the outer shows something different so to the people we call hypocrites on the outside, they behave in a certain way, but inside they behave completely different. So Jesus spoke this condemning the Pharisees. And in Matthew chapter 23, so Matthew chapter 23, 15. So to the poor and the sick, uh, Jesus was a friend to such people. He gave them hope and comfort to such people. But to the people like the Pharisees, he spoke words of curse and said, Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you hypocrites. So he spoke curse upon curse. Verse 15, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So in the eyes of God and the eyes of Jesus, how wicked they were they that Jesus said such things, that when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. And then we continue, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone here swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So how double-hearted they were and such great hypocrites. So if someone made an oath by the temple or the altar and didn't keep it, they would say it's okay. But if you swore by the gold of the temple or gift on the altar, then they were bound by that oath. So what great hypocrites they were and how double-hearted they were. And Jesus said, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So these hypocrites, they tried to take hold of these material gifts uh, given so they were like leeches who fed off all the people. They were thieves and robbers, and um, they had such um, uh, hearts, and so Jesus condemned them, and he said, Woe to you! And verse, and then when we, uh, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. So when they gave tithe, they were so exact that the Pharisees would 
count um, the dill and cumin. And though they were very tiny seeds, uh, they would count it to the exact number, uh, even if it took a whole day. But they forgot the more important matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That justice, that you have to carry out the commands of God, and you must do it with love, uh, mercy, and then with faith, that you must do it. But you do all these things that have nothing to do with this, and so you are doing wrong. You are like blind guides. And um, it says, you strain out a gnat, a swallow a camel, um, that woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus knew them so well that they could not make any excuses. There's nothing that God does not know and nothing that he cannot see. So God, he sees both the inside and outside. Um, he sees the thoughts and the hearts and all your actions as well. And we have to know and acknowledge this. Even though they lived a life that seemed like they were doing good works and living uh, righteously, but in the eyes of the Lord, they were wicked, that inside them were lies, deceit, and decay. And so he condemned them. And Jesus didn't do it as he hated them. Though the things they were doing were hateful, uh, Jesus condemned them to have them repent so that one more soul could repent and be saved. And Jesus said, as we read in the opening passage, do not, don't be like them. Don't do things for others to see. So from Matthew chapters 1 to 4, Jesus warned to not do things in front of others to be seen by them. Um, so don't do things to be seen with the eyes of others that you might be deceived uh, that you will be acknowledged or recognized for a short time temporarily but God is the one who sees everything uh, that's in your heart and your mind the past the present and future and he is the one we have to acknowledge who sees us at every moment so it says when you give to the needy do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. So in the streets before people, so they would carry coins in their pockets and then drop it before the poor. And so when people heard the sound of a coin dropping, they'd say, teacher, who dropped your coin? And he'd say, who dropped it? Oh, who picked it up? And then he's me, sir. And he, and he would say, keep it, ha, ha, ha. 
So, so the Pharisees made themselves seem so benevolent and kind by allowing them to keep the coin. And, but Jesus said, don't be like such people because the Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Don't pray like hypocrites. So I'm not saying don't pray out loud in our church, but for them, uh, they wouldn't pray out loud when alone, but when someone came around, they would pray out loud suddenly. So don't do things to be seen by others, or else the Father will not reward you. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. So when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So when you pray, you may say, I don't have my own prayer room. So, so, uh, so when some people build houses, they set apart a little prayer room. Of course, that would be nice, but you can still pray without this room. And what this means is that when you go to that room, no one is there to bother you. And the reason why you go in there is to pray. And who else is in there? The Father, our God, is there and watching. And before such Father, we pray. And you pray to your Father who is unseen. Who is unseen. So when we say um, in secret, uh, some people think things done in secrecy are not good. So what this means here is though others may acknowledge and see you, uh, our God sees what is done in secret and acknowledges you. So can we live acknowledging this every single second that we live? Though we do not see him, he sees us. And uh, when he sees us, he knows our past, our present, our future, what, what we have in our minds and our hearts. He knows and sees everything, everything. So when you come to pray, do you think, uh, so you come and I came to fill out the log because pastor likes it. And if not, I'll get in trouble. So why do you think I make you do this? That we have to become a church that doesn't need uh, things like a prayer log. But having this lock does make it better because people who didn't come uh, now come. And and for those who think the pastor sees it, you fill it out. So you so like little children, so I'm making you do this. But Jesus said, don't do this. Go to a small room where no one else is, whether it's a small room or in the desert or the marketplace or any space, wherever it may be, the place where you acknowledge that the Father is watching you is where you pray. Hallelujah. So the Father who sees what is done in secret and knows all things. He knows the sun, the moon, and everything. He not only sees me, but knows all things. And he can give and prepare all that we need. And when you acknowledge this and... So we have to acknowledge it and go before him. In order to acknowledge him, I have to become honest before him. And there is no moment that's more honest and truthful than prayer time. 
So out of all my life and time, there should be no other time more honest aside from this prayer time. But if we're not honest and we simply pray in tongues and watch the, the clock, then it becomes a ritual. It becomes hypocrisy. And we have to overcome this. We have to be above that. So Jesus said such things. He said, don't babble. So what the pagans do is babble and say, and pray to uh, some God, give me this or give me that. So to babble means that no one is listening, that you don't acknowledge uh, anyone um, or that anyone is there or listening and you pray even without acknowledging and without even expecting anything. And you do not pour out your honesty and you just babble on to do things without honesty and not pouring out your sincere heart, you are just babbling. And let us not do such things. So uh, Jesus, he um, prayed so hard to the point where his drops of sweat became like blood. That with all that he had, with his everything, he prayed, Father, Father, have mercy on them that they don't know what they are doing, have mercy on them. Although their hearts are willing, but their flesh is weak, so have mercy. So Jesus prayed with sincerity and faithfulness, so that the drops of sweat that fell were like drops of blood. And there is no more honest prayer than how he prayed. So as he died, he fulfilled the commands of the Father. And the last words he spoke were, Receive my spirit. The Father received his spirit willingly, and Jesus died. And through his death, he condemned the father of lies, the devil, and he died for all mankind. He sprinkled his blood on all mankind and to those who receive it, uh, their spirits have been made upright, have been made righteous. So the righteous, the upright blood that Jesus poured out, those who receive it will also become a steadfast spirit. Because the blood of Jesus, the blood of God is spiritual, his blood is, the, is like the steadfast spirit and he sprinkled that blood. He ascended to heaven and sits on the throne as the lamb with the marks of being slain. It says his eyes are like blazing fire. His eyes are like blazing fire. He is a lamb who sits on the throne. So when we go to heaven, who will we see? Who will we see? We will see the lamb Jesus. We, will, we won't be able to see the Father, but we will see the lamb Jesus on the throne. And his eyes are like blazing fire. So look at each other's eyes. Are, are they uh, wide awake? Are they alert? And if they are, then your eyes will sparkle. And if someone is healthy and well, then their eyes are awake and alert and they sparkle. And if you're sick, your eyes become dull. And in Revelation 19.12, it says his eyes are like blazing fire. And he's the one who sees you with such eyes. And it, it's uh, scary that he sees all. And it's described in Revelation 5, 6. 
that he has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So Jesus has seven eyes. Wow. How fearful is this description? It describes the eyes of Jesus that are like blazing fire, and there are seven of those eyes, and there's no place he can't see, that he sees everything. And can you live before him, before him with such eyes? So when a uh, the detective captures a suspect and they're um, uh, placed in a dark room and they're uh, interrogating him. So in the TV shows, they wear the suspenders and so everything else is dark um, except for the one bright light that they shine on the suspect's face and say, hey, you uh, confess and confess, uh, turn yourself in and regain your uh, integrity. So the suspect, uh, so everything is dark except for the spotlight and so he can't hide anymore. But in heaven it says he will look at us with even brighter eyes, eyes like blazing fire. And how can we go to such a place? But if we don't go there, then it'll be hell. But we can't go there unless our spirit changes. Our spirit needs to change. So so he's the one who knows all things from beginning to end. So if a newcomer comes and he knows everything about me, my past, all the things I've done, then am I the one that should be leading church? So if someone who knows everything of my past since, since birth, all the lies, and they come sit here right next to me, then it makes you very uncomfortable uh, you need you want, feel like you want to leave and you want to be in the same room as them but in heaven we will go to the one who knows more than that and in order to go there our spirit needs to change into the upright soul amen hallelujah and when we have been cleansed by the blood of jesus our sins need to be cleansed by his blood and be born as upright to go to the father's house hallelujah so the Holy Spirit came to the believers and the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit. The Holy Spirit has the heart and the character of God, who has the memories of God, the eyes of God has come into our spirit. Uh, our spirit now has the eyes of Jesus, the eyes of God. So in our lives, therefore, Every second and moment, we can't help but acknowledge that his eyes are on us. You, but you might say, I made my resolve, I was determined to follow, but I gave in to my temptation and I've sinned again. Just because you sinned, you can't take your own life. So what must we do? What must we do? We must repent. We have to go to that room, the small room, and repent go before him and repent so we have to confess and repent and before god we stand there so repentance the result is confessing and pouring out as we have as we are broken and contrite and out of all the blessings we have is the blessing of the spirit of repentance and it says Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
And as you've received the blood of Jesus, by his grace, your spirit came to life. And therefore, now we have to be determined to live before the eyes of Jesus. But we fall and fall and sin again. Just because so, we cannot run away as we can't go to hell. So what God said before us is to go before the Father, close the door, and pray. That he has seen all the sins that we've committed, but he is waiting for us in that place. So therefore, come before him and pour it out to vomit it all out. Whatever sin it is, whatever it may be, when we pour it out, he will forgive us of that sin and save us from that sin. Hallelujah. So we have to do this. We have to have such experience. So for me, I am so in love with this time. It doesn't matter if I have a prayer room or not, um, if there's someone next to me or not. But firstly, it is to be before God who knows all things and sees all things. And I have resolved to live in such a way, but every moment and second I've thought of the wrong things. That I'm the, there's something wrong with me, that I'm the worst among sinners. I was born in sin and I have received these unclean genes from my parents and from their grandparents and I was born in sin. So sin is constantly grasping my heels. Have mercy on me and cleanse me with hyssop and I will be cleansed. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Though you have born a steadfast spirit in me, I have not lived according to it and lost that steadfastness. Once again, renew the spirit of steadfastness in me. And also those who are double-hearted ought to repent. As soon as uh, we believe in Jesus in order to enter eternal life, in order to live with the Father in eternity, we determine to live going only towards heaven and resolve to give our best and run the race. But at one point we find ourselves turning back the family we left behind, the world that we left behind, the old habits we laid down, we took hold of them again. And just like Lot's wife who could not give up the world she left behind and looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And like the Israelites who while in the desert remembered the lifestyle uh, they had where they ate and enjoyed the foods of Egypt, thinking those were the good old days where they wined and dined and traveled here and there. But now, after believing in Jesus, what is this life? Without warning, these old thoughts, they just come back. And you realize there's no hope for me because only sin comes up. I'm filled with sin. Please take hold of me and take me because my soul's desire is to go to the Father's house. So create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. So we have to pray before the Father who sees us in secret. To repent and pray is 
so important. To be upright before people is important, but to be upright before God is even more. But the problem is, we are not upright before ourselves. We're not honest with ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Like the devil who deceived himself and wanted to become like God, we have deceived ourselves and don't realize we're putting ourselves to death. That we have to pray and repent. To pray and repent and then he, God will let us know that you say, I've repented this much and prayed this much and it's resolved, it seems like. But the next day, that's something else. In these days, I repent of all sorts of things. There are those who came to our church and received, uh, they were very spiritually filled, but then they ended up leaving and took some people with them. And I think they are going to hell. So then I think, wouldn't it be better if they had not met me? And that these thoughts come to me and I come to repent of all these things and it just doesn't end. And I realized I was born in sin in my mother's room and I feel as if I'm the one who should have never been born but is born. There is no other way except to pray and renew a steadfast spirit in me and to not deceive myself. In order for that, I need to examine myself with the eyes of blazing fire. And all that I am left to do is repent. To repent and repent. And as when undergoing a surgery and the skin, the tissues and bones are uncovered. And I dig in deep to dig out those sins that were buried inside. So we saw as David repented, it wasn't enough. And... He said to God, search me, God, and search me, God. So I have to search myself before myself and to pray to God. That this sin is hidden deep within me. I will do whatever it takes to unearth it and repent. So help me. And it's so the upright will go before the upright God. So how how can sinners go before the upright, righteous God? So therefore, we have to resolve this while on earth. So now, with even more focus, but repent before God and pray that he renews a steadfast spirit in us. And repent and purge out everything before him. Be healed and comforted by God. Receive strength so that we can go before our upright Father. Let us pray.